Well, uh, today we're going to ask the question, uh, what is faith, as we talk about the faith of Abraham? So as we think about what faith is, uh, do we realize that every one of us lives by faith every day uh, in some way or other? Uh, we drive by faith. We, we pray that we drive down the right-hand side of the road and the other guy is doing the same thing so he doesn't hit us head-on, right? When we get on an airplane, we, we have faith that that plane is going to fly and that the pilot knows how to fly that plane. Uh, whenever we decide that we are going to eat a meal, we eat by faith, uh, trusting that uh, all of the hands that touched our food in the supply chain uh, as it reaches the supermarket, that uh, those hands are pure and that our food will be pure. We take medicine by faith. We go to the doctor, we trust the doctor that he has prescribed the right medicine and that uh, uh, we trust that the pharmacist has filled the script properly so that we're taking uh, the medicine that we are supposed to have. Uh, we dress by faith. We listen to the weatherman. He says if it's gonna rain, he says if it's gonna be cold and we dress appropriately. We follow our GPS by faith, right? Who could live without a GPS nowadays? Uh, we trust that it has triangulated our position on the globe properly and that it can tell us and get us where we want to go. So we couldn't live our lives without some measure of faith. But none of those kinds of faith that I just mentioned are saving faith. Saving faith is different. Saving faith requires much more than just trusting people to obey uh, social and safety laws so that we might stay out of harm's way in our daily lives. A saving faith requires that we trust in Jesus Christ for our eternity. And God has promised that he will declare us righteous, that we will be in right standing with him, and that we will be saved from the penalty of our sins if we trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so that's what saving faith is. It's a gift from God. It's given to us as an act of his grace and mercy on us, not by anything that we could have done to have earned it or that we deserve it because of anything that we have done. It's a gift of grace. And so in our passage today, we're going to see what saving faith looks like as we continue to study the life of Abraham in Romans chapter 4. So it's been a few weeks since we've been in Romans, so I just want us to remember where we left off. Remember that in the first three chapters of Romans, uh, Paul convicted the entire world of sin. No matter who you are, uh, no matter what your background, you are guilty of sin. You can't plead innocence. You can't plead ignorance. We know by conscience, we know by the law uh, that we have sinned and we are guilty of it and we deserve God's wrath and punishment. And that is what we call the human predicament. Uh, but then at the end of chapter 3, that's when Paul uh, gives us the good news of the gospel. He talks about justification by faith, saying that even though we are deserving of wrath, there is a way out, that God has provided a way of salvation for us through uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, so even though everyone deserves God's wrath, God will forgive and God will pardon sinners who have believed in Jesus Christ for their salvation. And so God will allow believers into heaven uh, in that way. But remember, Paul is also quick to add uh, that there is nothing that we can do to earn that salvation, that there is nothing that we can do to deserve that salvation. It's a free gift. And so in chapter 4, Paul was talking about all the ways that uh, the Jews and, and the Gentiles who were reading this book of Romans might think that they could have earned their way into heaven. And Paul debunks the idea that they could earn their way into heaven by their works, because their works were, were sinful, according to everything that we read in the first three chapters. And the law wouldn't help them either because no one was able to keep the law. And not only that, 
Abraham was given this grace. He was justified by God long before the law was ever instituted. So it's not the law that saves. It's not circumcision that saves because circumcision happened after Abraham was called justified by God. And it's not your heritage that saves because uh, Abraham was saved before he was even called a Jew. So he was a Gentile uh, before, he became, before the nation of Israel existed. So he was not even a Jew at the time he was saved. So it's not your heritage that saves you either. And because it's not your heritage that saves you, that means that Gentiles and Jews alike both have this salvation available to them by grace through faith. God gives salvation to anyone who believes and has faith. And so now in this last section of Romans, Paul uh, wants to talk about uh, how Abraham demonstrated this faith, what Abraham's faith looked like uh, as he's trying to show that this is how we live. This is the example of faith, saying that Abraham believed God and God credited that faith to him as righteousness. Now, I just want you to remember that when I talk about being justified by faith, by being declared righteous, what I mean by that is that is God bestowing on us a legal standing. That means we are right in his eyes. We are in proper standing with him uh, and we are saved. We will not be held guilty of sin. We will not be held accountable for it because we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be declared righteous. We, we have our guilt taken away. And God did that for Abraham, and God will do that for anyone who believes in the gospel. And so we'll ask a couple of questions today. First, what is faith? And second, how is faith credited? How is it that God can credit faith to our account? So let's start with this first question, what is faith? And we'll read uh, Romans chapter 4, uh, verses 18 to 22. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. And so what is faith? The first thing we see is that faith is believing in God's promises, believing in God's promises. Think about all the promises that God made to Abraham as we go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Uh, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, this is the first time God promised Abraham something. He said, uh, to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, God did bless Abraham. He gave him flocks and herds uh, and increased his wealth greatly. But still, uh, even though there were land, seed, and blessing promises here, there still, years later, was no seed. There was no descendant. And so, um, later on, uh, God appeared to Abraham again in chapter 15. And this is what he said. He said, "'Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward will be very great.'" 
And Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me, since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given me no offspring, one born in my house is my heir. And then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man shall not be your heir, but one will come forth from your own body, and he shall be your heir. And God took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And then Abraham believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And so another promise from God, land, seed, and blessings. But Abraham waited, and Abraham waited. And at least 25 years from the time of the original promise back in chapter 12, uh, the promise of, of, son, of a son of seed still had not been fulfilled. And so uh, after the 25 years, after Abraham had had the child with Hagar, uh, who was now 13 years old, his name was Ishmael, and now with Abraham 99 years old, God appeared to him yet another time, and this is what he said to him. He said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. Now, notice that phrase where God says, I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. You notice that that's in the past tense there? It's in the past tense. God considers that already done uh, from his perspective, even though Abraham had not yet conceived through Sarah, and even though uh, he was still childless. He's waiting year after year after year for this to happen. God considers it done, uh, but Abraham was still looking forward to that promise. And we know from Abraham's life, from studying his life, that Abraham wasn't perfect, but he chose to believe God, uh, even when it was difficult to believe. So what we see is, first of all, that faith is believing in God's promises. The second thing we see from Abraham's life is that faith is believing in the impossible. Faith is believing in the impossible. Abraham knew that his body was as good as dead. He was 100 years old by the time of Genesis chapter 17. Sarah's body was 90 years old at that point in time. So what man can have a child at 100 years old? What woman at 90 years old can conceive and bring a child to term? That's physically impossible. But where human possibility ends, that's where God's possibility begins. Uh, the Bible says, with man, this is impossible, but everything is possible for God. And what we see in verse 20 is that uh, it is said about Abraham that without weakening in faith, uh, he believed. Uh, another version says Abraham did not waver in unbelief. And so this word for did not waver or not weakening in faith is the Greek word diakrino. And it means to judge or to set yourself up as a judge over something. And so when we do that, we are listening to truth and we're passing judgment on it. That's what diacrino means. Uh, so what happened was that 
Abraham did not do that. He did not waver in his faith. He, he did have moments of doubt. We know that from looking at his life, but he did not judge God's promises as impossible. I don't know if any of you have ever been called uh, to serve on a jury and have actually served on a jury, but when you, when you serve with 11 other of your peers, you are actually being told to pass judgment on what you hear. That's your job. You listen to both sides of the case present their evidence, and then you stand over that evidence as judge, and you decide what truth is and what truth is not. Well, that's exactly the opposite of what Abraham did here. He did not set himself up as judge over what God said was true. And so if God were judging, or if Abraham were judging the possibility of God's promises based on what he knew in his humanity and what was humanly possible, he would have said, impossible, that can't happen. But he didn't do that. He did not set himself up as judge over what God had promised. Instead, he believed, even though that what he thought was impossible, God said it was possible. So what are we facing now, each and every one of us? What are we facing now that seems impossible in our lives? We're living in the middle of this coronavirus pandemic, of course, and uh, the world has seemingly gone off the rails in the last month or so. So we ask ourselves, you know, are, are you worried about getting coronavirus? Are you worried about your health? Are you worried about your finances? Are you worried about your family? Uh, I think to some degree, we're all worried about these things. But on the other hand, as believers, do we believe that God is sovereign? Do we believe that God is good? Do we believe that God has a purpose in this coronavirus and that he's going to accomplish that purpose even through this hardship and trial? Uh, I really hope that we all know that. I really hope that we believe those things. Uh, Abraham knew that it was impossible for uh, him to have children, humanly speaking, but uh, God's supernatural ability was Abraham's only hope, and Abraham decided to believe in the impossible. And so that's what Abraham did, and we have the ability to do that too. We have the ability to to trust God no matter what, to believe in the impossible. He can lift this virus. He can cure any disease. He can fix any financial hardship that any of us is having. He can fix all kinds of relational problems. God can do the impossible in your life. So trust him with it like Abraham trusted him with it. So faith is believing in God's promises. Faith is believing in the impossible. Faith is believing when life doesn't make sense. Faith is believing when life doesn't make sense. Remember, uh, God told Abraham 25 years earlier that he would have a child, and here he is 25 years later. God never told Abraham why he had to wait 25 years for this promise to be fulfilled. Uh, so he has no idea what's going on. Life doesn't make sense to him. Uh, normally, like when somebody promises to do something, they do it fairly quickly, and, and, and you know that that's a person of their word. When, when I promise to do something for somebody, I try to do it right away so that nobody has to worry about whether I'm actually going to fulfill the promise or uh, whether I forgot or whatever. I, I, I try to fulfill that promise so that uh, we, so that people will know that I meant it when I said it. Well, here's Abraham. He was already well pushing the limits of human possibility when he was 75 and uh, Sarah was 65. So how do you think Abraham felt when Sarah didn't conceive within the first, you know, one or two months of the promise? I could imagine him scratching his head like, you know, what's going on here, God? Well, how do you think he felt a couple of years after God's promise? 
And if that's not bad enough, how do you think he felt a couple of decades after God's promise and Sarah still had not conceived? We certainly could understand that Abraham might feel a little bit disillusioned with God and his promises at that point as he was becoming more and more long in the tooth and wondering how this could ever possibly happen. So uh, Abraham wasn't perfect. We know that, right? He submitted to, to Sarah's scheme to uh, have this child through Hagar and, and to, to continue the family line through Hagar. But still, Abraham kept on believing in the promise, even after uh, it was impossible, even after it was clear to him his life didn't make any sense and God's promises didn't make any sense. He said to God, I have no heir. And, and Eleazar, this, this man born in my house, he's going to be my heir. And God says, no, Abraham, Abraham, Eleazar is not going to be your heir. I'm going to give you descendants too numerous to count. Go look at the stars. Go look at the sand on the seashore. Too numerous to count. That's how many your descendants will be. And I can imagine Abraham walking away from that conversation, just shaking his head and saying, okay, God, uh, I mean, I don't understand. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know your timing. I don't know your plan, but I am going to choose to trust you even though my life, to my way of thinking, doesn't make any sense. Well, sometimes life doesn't make sense, right? And if you happen to be a person uh, listening to me right now, and you're a person living without faith, well, I don't know how you make sense of life right now. Uh, the coronavirus has changed life globally, right? The entire world is affected by this. Uh, as of this morning, I saw that 2.3 million people have now been affected by it or infected by it. Uh, I think the last count was 160,000 people roughly have died of the disease or the virus. Um, 40,000 or so in the United States have died from this virus. Uh, 20, what is it, 23 million Americans have applied for unemployment, have applied for unemployment already in the first four weeks of uh, this pandemic, which is well over 10% of our workforce. Uh, these are very, very scary times. And so the unbelievers that I know are full of fear, they're full of panic, they're full of anger. Uh, you know, what's going on in the world? Uh, they're afraid of what's going to happen to them. Are they going to get sick? Are they or their loved ones going to die? Uh, they're mad at China for not being honest about the disease to begin with. Uh, they're mad at our government thinking that our government should be doing more or, or could have done more earlier. They're just angry and they're scared and they're panicked and that's what happens to people who don't have a grounding in God. And I understand it to some degree. I mean, we're all probably a little bit fearful that we might catch the virus, but what this thing shows us is that we should not put our faith in our health, right? Or our lives. It's clear just how fleeting they are. And sometimes it takes something like the coronavirus to show us that life hangs by a thread. You know, it, it, there's a very fine line between life and death, between health and unhealth. Uh, it's, it's really a fine line, and so we can't put our faith in our health. We can't put our faith in our finances either. If any of you had the courage to open your first quarterly statements from your investments uh, in the beginning of April, uh, you saw that you probably lost 25 to 35 percent of the value of your investment. Like, poof, up in smoke, it's gone, and it takes, it happens in, in what, a week. Um, so we, it's clear we can't put our... Uh, hope in our finances or our investments to take care of us either. We can only put our faith in God to take care of us. He's the only one who can take care of us when life doesn't make sense. So I understand that people without faith, they're, they're, they're a very shaky foundation, but people with faith, 
We know that God has allowed this coronavirus for a reason. We know that he's sovereign. We know that he has purposes that he wants to accomplish through it. And I think we've already seen a lot of good come from the coronavirus. Uh, we see families uh, spending a lot more time together, and uh, we see a lot of people attending church online maybe who wouldn't necessarily walk into a building, uh, listening to podcasts about uh, Jesus or, or church podcasts is up. I saw a statistic uh, the other day that uh, Bible sales are up 44%. That's a massive number. Already the biggest selling book of all time, right? And that increases by 44%. So um, that is a huge number. And so good things are happening, uh, even though uh, it's a terrible uh, pandemic that we're suffering through. But we know that when God has accomplished his purposes, this pandemic is going to pass. And I pray that his purposes are to achieve revival in the world, that the people would turn back to God. Uh, and I pray that he will accomplish that through uh, this pandemic. Uh, this uh, uh, pandemic, through this virus. I mean, the thing that is so hard, though, is we don't know how long it's going to last, right? We don't know God's timing. We don't know uh, why so many people have to die. We don't know why so, many have to people have, why so many people have to lose their jobs and live in such uncertainty. But faith means that we trust God when life doesn't make sense, just like Abraham did. So Faith is believing in God's promises, believing in the impossible, believing when life doesn't make, faith, make sense. And faith is also relying on God's power. Now, Abraham knew that he had no ability to have offspring at this stage in his life. But verse 20 says that Abraham grew strong in his faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was fully able to accomplish. Now, that is a remarkable statement of faith. Like if something is impossible, we give up and forget about it, right? Like if I were standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and I took 10 steps back and I said, I am gonna run and jump across the Grand Canyon, well, that would be sheer stupidity, right? Uh, I would never do that, it's impossible. I wouldn't spend any time thinking about it. I would just walk away and forget about it. Abraham knew that it was impossible for him to have children, but God promised him children, and so he didn't dwell in the impossibility. He dwelt on God's power and God's ability to provide, even though uh, in his own power it was impossible for him. And that's why faith is relying not on our own power, but relying on God's infinite power and believing that whatever God has promised, no matter how impossible it seems to us, God is able to accomplish. So uh, faith is believing in God's promises. It's believing in the impossible, believing when life doesn't make sense. It's relying on God's power. And finally, it's trusting God with the outcome. Abraham trusted God with the outcome. God promised Abraham. Abraham believed God, and God fulfilled the promise. And so faith is ongoing, daily perseverance, and trust and endurance uh, in God's promises. God's promises are only as trustworthy as God's character. And God's character is flawless. It is perfect. And that's why his promises, we can trust in them because they are so sure and certain because of God's character. We have nothing to fear by trusting God with the outcome of all of our circumstances, whatever they might be. But people without faith have no one to trust in but themselves or other people, and that's shifting sand. Uh, that's a very shaky foundation, and that's why 
uh, people without faith are always trying to fix problems in their own power, uh, sometimes making more of a mess of things than they already are. Uh, and that's why people without faith blame other people uh, and, and blame God or, or whatever for, for their circumstances. Uh, that's why their lives are so stressful, and that's why they have no peace, because they know that they are weak and powerless, that they're unable to solve their problems, but they don't know God, who is sovereign over their, uh, their problems and has the ability to fix them, who loves them and is in control of all circumstances. And so they try to control outcomes in their own feeble way and often make uh, a mess of things. But the, the peace that a believer knows comes from God himself, and the peace is that God loves us and that he is sovereign over circumstance. And so faith is just getting out of God's way. And it's, it's stopping trying to control all these circumstances that are out of our control. And it's trusting God no matter what. Faith says, I don't know what's going on here, God. I, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand where this circumstance is going. I feel out of control. I feel helpless. I feel powerless. I feel small. And so I turn it over to you, God. There's nothing I can do in my own power. I trust you with the outcome. In verse 22, God said, I credit this righteousness, this faith to you as righteousness. That's a good outcome. That's the best outcome. Uh, and Abraham was as confused as anybody could ever be about God's promises and the timing of God's fulfillment of his promises. But by trusting the outcome to God, he was credited with God's righteousness. And God fulfilled that promise of providing blessings or children too numerous to count. So whatever you're going, going through right now, whether it's coronavirus or whether it's unrelated to coronavirus, it's broken relationships, it's finances, whatever it is uh, that, that comes from the fact that we live in a broken world full of uh, fallen people and, and broken relationships, God is sovereign over all of this. So we need to trust God with the outcome. He's got everything under control, even if we can't see that. So that's what faith is. Now let's talk about how faith is credited. How, faith, how is faith credited to our account? Let's look at verses 23 to 25. The words, it was credited to him, were not written for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So we, are, we can be declared righteous. And uh, there are a couple of ways to be declared righteous in the sense of timing. There's before the cross and there's after the cross. Uh, before the cross, God credited righteousness to those looking forward to the fulfillment of God's promises. You know, a lot of people think that there is more than one way, it must be more than one way to be saved because some people were saved before the cross of Jesus Christ and others were saved after the cross of Jesus Christ. And Paul wrote Romans after Jesus died, was buried, and was raised from the dead. But Abraham lived 2,000 years before that event, and yet both are saved. So uh, what we learn from that is that there are not different means of salvation. Uh, Paul's point was that God has always saved people by faith uh, through grace, whether before the cross or after the cross. God promised Abraham land, seed, and blessings, and Abraham believed God's promise, and that was credited to him as righteousness. So God could allow people who lived before the cross into heaven when they were looking forward to God's promises, when they were believing in the promises that God made. 
And so uh, if we looked at Hebrews, we can see how uh, the author to Hebrews put this. This is just a fantastic quote about how Old Testament people, uh, saints, can be saved. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. You see that looking forward to the promises. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore there was born even of one man and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and in, as innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith. That's all the Old Testament saints that have been listed in uh, Hebrews chapter 11. They all died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own, and indeed if they had been thinking of the country which they went out from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they seek a better country, that is, a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to call them their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Old Testament saints looking forward to the promises of God, believing that he will fulfill them. And that's God's way of allowing Old Testament saints into heaven before the cross. And so they looked forward to the fulfillment of God's promises. So those who looked forward and lived by faith in God's promises were saved, and those who didn't were not saved. Uh, but God trust, or God gave Abraham uh, that righteousness because Abraham believed and God credited to him as righteousness. So that's how God can credit righteousness to people before the cross. After the cross, we're credited with faith by looking backward to the cross and forward to the fulfillment of God's promises. And so on this side of the cross, Paul showed them that uh, God will credit righteousness to us too if we will believe by faith. And so what is the difference? What has changed is now Jesus has lived and Jesus has been uh, crucified and Jesus has risen again. So what has changed is not the fact of faith. We still have to have faith. It's the object of our faith that has now changed. The object of our faith is Jesus Christ. And so God will credit righteousness to all who believe in him. So whereas Abraham was looking forward to the promises, we look backward to the reality of the cross and we look forward to the promise of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then when we look at verse 25, we see a complete statement of the gospel. Uh, he was delivered over to death for our sins. That's the first part of the gospel message. And what do we see? Jesus was delivered over for our sins. The purpose of the cross was to atone for our sins, to pay the penalty that was due for our sins, for all the sins of mankind, past, present, and future sins. And Jesus paid for the sins of anybody who lived before his time and after his time. Before his time, uh, people temporarily paid the price of sin that was due by the animal sacrifices and the sacrificial system. That was just a temporary payment until Jesus came and paid their sin debt in full on the cross. Now, God's holiness and God's justice demands that there be a penalty for sin. But God's love gave us human beings a way out. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, we can be saved by placing our faith in him 
His love was demonstrated on the cross so that we who believe don't have to pay the penalty of sin. Uh, we will receive mercy and grace where punishment is due. And that's not something that we could ever earn. It's not something we could ever deserve, no matter what we think we have done. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. But Jesus' death on the cross is only part of the gospel message. Uh, yes, he died on the cross for our sins, but our hope is in the resurrection. The second half of verse 25, he was raised to life for our justification. And so God raised Jesus from the dead to show that he was satisfied with Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sins, that he accepted payment in full. And Jesus' resurrection for us means that because God raised Jesus from the dead, he can raise us from the dead too. And he promises to do that. And so uh, when we place our faith in Jesus, we don't have our own filthy sin ledger anymore. Our, our sins are gone. They've been wiped clean. Uh, and in its place, we get Christ's spotless ledger. And that is the gospel message. And that is how God can allow sinners into heaven. We look back to the cross and Christ's work on the cross and what it means for us. And we look forward and believe in the promise that he's coming again. And God promised it so we know that it is true. Isn't that reassuring in this time of uncertainty? Uh, this, this world right now is an incredible time of uncertainty. Uh, who can know anything for certain right now? Uh, when will the virus end? Uh, will I get sick? Will I not get sick? Will I have a job in a few weeks? What's going to happen to my investments? When can I come to church again? Can I ever hug anybody or give them a handshake again? Uh, we don't know these things. We have no idea if and when the world will ever get back to normal. So are you looking for certainty in an uncertain world? We've already seen we can't rely on, on the things of the world for our uh, certainty. Uh, we have to rely on Christ. So if you're a believer, we, we press into God more. We pray more. We read our Bibles more. We try to get closer to him. If you're not a believer, you confess to him that you are a sinner in need of a savior, and you ask God to forgive you of your sins, and, and you thank him for salvation through Jesus Christ. Whether the coronavirus lasts for days or months or years, no matter what it is, it's still less than a blip on the scale of eternity, right? And we will spend eternity with him when we believe so we can trust God and his promises. So uh, that is what faith is, and that is how faith is credited. So by way of application now, let's ask a question. What promises has God made to you? And are you trusting them? Are you believing them? And are, are you allowing God to work in his own timing? Now, here's what I want us to do this week. I want us to just pick one of God's promises, and I want us to spend the week meditating on it. The promise that I've chosen to meditate on this week uh, is from Hebrews 13:5. I will never leave you or forsake you. That is a grand promise of God. And there are lots of promises of God. Here's another good one. Isaiah 41:10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And here's one more. Isaiah 26:3. You will keep in perfect peace those minds who are steadfast because they trust in you. Aren't those encouraging verses at this time? Uh, we need God's promises, and God makes hundreds of promises in the Bible. And so I just want us just to grab one of them, grab one promise in the Bible this week and spend this week meditating on that promise. And I, I can guarantee you, you will be changed. You will have less fear, more trust, more hope. God loves you. 
He sent his son to die on the cross for you. You cannot have greater love than that. And so believe with the faith of Abraham that God has a plan for your life and that you can trust him in these uncertain times. Let's pray. Lord God, you are so good. You are so great. Lord, you are so faithful, so trustworthy. Lord, your promises are sure and true. Lord, you sent your son to die on a cross for us. What more could we ask? Lord, even though we don't understand what's going on in the world now, your purposes are bigger than what we could fathom. Lord, help us to trust you in these trying times and these circumstances. Lord, help us to surrender to you, to the will of the Holy Spirit. Help us look for opportunities to help others in these times. Lord, please draw the world back to yourself. Lord, we just thank you for the blessing of Jesus Christ and the cross and the resurrection because by it, by it, uh, through faith, by your grace, we are saved, Lord. Thank you for all these things, and we pray in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.